It's good to be with you. Um, in the mid-90s, I was in college, and I remember loading up my uh, little Cherokee Jeep I had, and uh, I was driving to the mountains of North Carolina through the Smokies, and I remember I pressed the gas to my little Jeep, and I remember I could not get up the mountain. I went from like 45 to 60 all the way down to about 10, 15 miles an hour trying to get up there and trying to get to college. I tell you that story because I didn't know what to expect. Here I was, 18 years old, and I, and I ride up to the Appalachian State University, and I didn't know what was awaiting me. And what was awaiting me for the first time ever, I began to see something and experience something that really changed the way I looked at life. For the first time ever, what happened was Friends of mine, who I consider friends, who I loved, began to ask them questions that I wasn't equipped and prepared to ask. Like, how could a good God allow all this evil in the world? How could a good God send people to eternal damnation? How could a good God put me in so much emotional pain of depressed anxiety that I'm not sure what to do. They began to ask questions, where is this God? And I thankfully and gratefully, as an 18 to 22-year-old kid, someone came alongside of me. And to be honest with you, it probably saved my life. Because I watched dear friends who didn't just quit going to church, they began to renounce the faith. They walked away from it. And they said this God is not only not worthy of my faith, they found him lacking, wanting more. And then it got even more, like how could this God sacrifice his son, be worth my faith. Man. And I'm 18, 23 going, processing that was, was hard. And then speed up to now, 25 years later, maybe you're like me. You've read books by authors that you've got a lot out of that you've heard pastors preach sermons, and you're like, man, that's why I became a Christian right there. They influenced me. Maybe you read some scholarly work, and you go, man, that guy's sharp. I resonate with everything he's saying academically. It makes perfect sense. He went through a logical argument to how he got to God, and man, it's beautiful, right? And you go, man, that's it. And then maybe you're like me today, you wake up, and some of those people who influenced you, they have walked away. They have renounced. They have considered this God unworthy of their worship. And they've gone back to Genesis 3. They become their own what? Their own God. And I say that this morning because this text for me is really personal. And it's really emotional because maybe you sit here this morning and you're like me. See, you have friends 
and you have family members. And again, I'm not talking about not going to church. I'm talking about rejecting the essentials of the gospel, that Christ came humanly, 100% man, 100% God, and he died for us. And then he rose from the dead. And they go, nah, I don't think so. And you sat there with them and you've wept with them and you've pleaded with them and you've urged them. And that's where we are this morning. How do we navigate that? How do we live in light of that? And it's personal. So the question is, how shall we then live? When our culture today, you can call it wokeism, you can call it progressive Christianity. If you don't know what the term means, it's okay. But basically saying God's not worth my what? My allegiance, my obedience. He's not worth me to bend the knee. I trust in me. And so to set it up, we're in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Because I want to go back a little bit before we get to verse 26. And I want to tell you the structure of Hebrews. Remember the structure. 1 through 10 is all doctrinal. He's building you up this doctrine. He realized right thinking is going to create what? Right living. Right thinking is going to create right living. In 1 through 10, he's trying to encourage. He's trying to exhort. He's trying to think. You've got to think right. Because we live in a world that don't think correctly about who? About God. About my son. About Christ. And so I hope you feel not this morning of fear. I don't want to create unnecessary doubt. I hope you'll heed the warning. And I hope this text to you is personal. I hope you feel it in your chest. I hope you wrestle with it in your mind because it's good work. Heed the warning. Think well about God. That's what he's saying. Because he says that, because he sets it up. Remember what Jeff talked about last week? He sets it up and he says, hey, 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 look with me, look with me. Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't forsake the assembly. That was last week, right? He's not talking about they're just not going to church. They're looking at Christ and going, he's not worth my what? Worship. I'm better without him than what? With him. And so it's in that context, he says, hey, hey, stay with me. In the verse 25, see the day drawing near. Christ is going to return. Think rightly about that before you go off the what? Reservation. Before you renounce him, before you reject him, before you consider him unworthy, think about he's coming. And you can't be wrong about this. It's not 50-50. You got to be 100. 
You got to be 100. Ain't no 50, 50, ain't 25, 75. If you're going to play the card, you got to be right about this. Do you understand? Are we with me? And don't think this can't be who. Ooh. That thought, not it's the Hebrew people, it's the Jews. They're going back to the synagogue. They're going back to the sacrifice of blood of the lambs, right? We don't do that, cutting animals up. But we go back to where? Our best thinking. And our best thinking says, I might not need this Jesus. Our best thinking gets us where? In trouble. Our best thinking. Goodness gracious. So he comes and he says, in light of that, look at point one there in your outline or in the text, it doesn't matter. Verse 26, he says, a somber warning. The writer says, hey, don't dismiss sin. Here we go. For if we go, verse 26, keep on sinning. After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. See the four? Because. Stay with me. Because of what I just talked about. Because of his coming. In light of his coming. Be careful. In light of his coming. For because. Here it is. We. Notice the pronoun. Doesn't say you. It says we. It says look. This is a potential. He's setting a truth that might shake out. Remember 1 John? All that went out from us weren't of us. All that went out from us weren't of us. He says, we, this is a possibility. This could happen. This is a potential. We, what is the potential? What is the possibility? Ah, there it is. Go on deliberately sinning. That's a willfulness, premeditated a willingness to keep engaging in it over and over. It's deliberate. And that's the first warning. Don't take sin lightly. Don't dismiss it. And when you dismiss it, if you're like me, what do you do? You rationalize it, you justify it, and you minimize it. And then it goes one step further in our culture. What do we do? We celebrate it. We celebrate it and call it courage. We celebrate it. And that's what he's saying. Be careful because when you get in your head, and some of you know what I'm talking about this morning, and you intellectualize things, you can, the smartest people in the room, listen to whose voice? Their own voice. That's why they're the smartest people in the room. Don't dismiss it. Let me be clear this morning. Doesn't say you're not going to struggle. If you're here this morning and you're like me and you're still struggling, right? You're still struggling with it. What are you doing that's different than deliberately sinning? You're doing what? Confessing. 
acknowledging it. And then you're doing the most beautiful thing here that's not in this text. You're doing what? You're turning. You're repenting. The righteous man falls down, and he gets what? Right back up. See, that's what they're not doing. They're not confessing. They're not turning. They're not acknowledging. They're just deliberately doing it and dismissing it and saying it doesn't what? Matter. Yes, it does matter. It matters big time because you know why? Eternity is a mistake. Eternity is here. And so be careful when you're on this slope. Be careful because it matters. Deliberately sin. Now, here's the tricky part. After receiving the knowledge, I understand this morning there's a lot of views on that, okay? A lot of scholars vary on how they take that. Here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Receive the knowledge based on the previous text. It goes back to what Jeff talked about in Hebrews chapter 6. It's the same deal. we got a lot of different options. He gave you four options. I won't review all those for you. But what we'll say here is these people that have received the knowledge have had an intellectual encounter. And that's different than a heart-change encounter. That's where we're laying. Is it problematic? Can you throw? Sure. But in the counsel of God, I think that's the best way to land. Can you object? Yes, you can object. But I think that's the best way to take it. As these people had an intellectual experience. Can I flesh it out more for you? These people probably responded to an invitation. These people probably were baptized. These people probably taught at church. At their house churches. These people were a part of the community. But remember 1 John. Those who were sent out from us are not necessarily of us. Oh, how do you know, Chad? That's a possibility. Talk to me here. I don't understand. Well, God in his counsel gives us a couple of possibilities, doesn't it? Of this happen. Do you, can, you, can you name some? Think about Demas, who was with the apostle Paul. He didn't finish well. He walked away. Not from the church. He rejected the faith. It's not just Demas. Think about Judas. What did Judas see the disciple? He saw everything. And he walked away. He renounced it. Not just that. Can I keep going on and on for you? The wheats and the tares, a parable. He says amongst there, there's going to be wheat and there's going to be tares. Who's going to judge it? Not us. God's going to decipher who's who. And then can I get, keep going? Matthew 13. When the persecution picked up, guess what some people did? They said it's getting too what? It's too hard. It's too hard. I didn't sign up for this. And then in John 6, when Jesus is teaching, what I say about his teaching? It's too difficult. The things you're saying to us, Jesus, is too difficult. And some did what? And they were called disciples. And what did they do? They walked away. And the scariest part, the most sobering part, is Matthew 7. You cast out demons. You prophesied. All these miracles. And he stood before God, and God said, I never did what? I never knew you. Whoa. That is sobering. If we're not careful... We can manipulate and do a lot without the power of the Holy Spirit and do it 100% in the flesh, 
in our own strength. And that's scary. Man. And the greatest sin of all was what? Blasphemy. They were taking what the Spirit was doing and saying, attribute to what? Satan. So some things that we're seeing aren't done of God. They're done of who? Trying to deceive us. So then, if you do that, guess what happens? The result is there remains what? You see it right there in verse 26, the end of verse 6. There remains, no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. See, there's no plan B. Make sure we understand this morning. There's no plan B. There's no other Messiah coming, right? There's nothing else coming. This is it, guys. This is it. It's all we got. So either Christ is who he said he is or is not, but it's all we got. There's no plan B. Nobody else is coming but Christ. So if that's the case, we got no forgiveness. We're stuck with who? Ourselves. And so the writer is putting his hands on his shoulders, and he's urging them, think well about this, brothers, before you do what? Reject it, renounce it, and forsake it. Think well about what's going to happen. Because in 27, he says, but a fearful expectation. You know what fearful means? Trembling. It's scary to stand before a holy God. And we see that all through the Old Testament. God takes sin seriously. He takes it seriously. He says, a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. When you turn, when you renounce, when you forsake, when you say, no, I don't think it's worth it, and you say, I'm going to dismiss all that, you align yourself as an enemy of who? Of God. And God said, that's when I'm serious about this. And all through the Old Testament, we see that, don't we? I mean, God opens up the earth, and people actually fall in it because they're disobedient. Do you remember each of the plagues? What's God doing? Do you remember in Revelation when God comes back, what's he doing? He's dealing with it. He's trying to tell us, I take this seriously, so heed the warning. And then he goes on and quotes Moses for you. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses... Set aside means what? To reject the law of Moses. So anyone who rejects the law of Moses, what happens to them? They die without mercy. Stay with me here logically. They die without mercy where the law was given to show us Christ. Correct? The law was given and said, we're in trouble. So the law took your physical life. What does Jesus take? Your spiritual life. The law took your physical life. He's saying when God comes, he's not going to take your, just your physical life. He's going to take your spiritual life. Man. So if you choose to live by law, what are you going to die by? The law. And so that's a somber warning. He said, this is how you don't want to live. You don't want to live like this. And then he transitions and says, here's what you don't want to believe. 
You don't want to believe like this. You don't want to have this worldview. Look with me in verse 29. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? See what he's doing? Now he's saying, hey, this is the worldview you don't want to have. Three things. You don't want to spurn the Son of God, which means what? Consider him what? Worthless, powerless, I don't want to associate with him. That's the first one, right? That's what it means to be spurned. Then you, then you talk about the blood. What's it mean about the blood? I don't want to do what the, the blood is common. The blood isn't holy. The blood didn't do anything. On that altar, the blood didn't clean my sins. White is the blood. Pure is the blood. Shed my sins. Whoo. The blood. We sing about it. Precious is the blood. Sweet is the blood. And we're going, the blood is like whose blood? My blood will do nothing for you. He said, you don't want to profane the blood. Speak of it as just being common, ordinary. Can I be stronger with you? Meaningless. The blood has no what? Power. And then the Holy Spirit, what happens there? Well, the Holy Spirit's our helper. He comes in and helps us live this Christian life, and we're saying to the Spirit, what? It's what? I don't need no help. And now I don't, I don't need no help. I don't want no help. And that's the three things when it comes to how we believe our worldview that get us in trouble. You see how it all starts back in your mind, what you're thinking about who? Jesus, about the blood, and about what? The Spirit. And when you think those things, he's saying, be careful, be warned. What's about to happen? You're about to do what? Walk away. Forsake. Leave. Turn. Abandon. Reject. The only thing that can give you forgiveness and hope, he's saying, don't go there. And then lastly, he says this as he ends this little section. He says, don't take God's justice lightly. I know it's not popular to speak about God's justice. But look what he says in verse 30. For we know him. Don't, don't skip over that. For we know him. We know what he's like. He's telling these Jewish readers, telling you and I, you know him. You know what he's like. You know his what? His character. And he's full of what? Gospel justice. That's what he's full of. Gospel justice. You know him. You know what he's going to do. And then he quotes an Old Testament verse that says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. That goes back to Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. He's saying, in Deuteronomy 32, Israel, if you walk away, I'm going to bring the Gentiles to do what? To judge you. And then I won't stop there. I'll judge the who? The Gentiles. So God comes full circle and says, my judgment is just. 
And my judgment is vindicated. It's righteous. It's correct. I will deal, and the principle is this, I will take sin seriously, and so should you. Because when I come, I will deal with it. Because you know me. Like a card game, don't call my bluff because you know what I'm holding. And I'm holding the winning what? Hand. And I'm about laying it down. So he says, don't walk away. See, but that's all in our heads, correct? We're talking a lot. Can I give you an illustration to hopefully, with no words, help you see this? John Stott, who was a Scottish pastor for a long time, one of his congress walked away from the faith. And like most pastors who are worth their salt, he goes and visits them. But see, John Stott understands, he's so brilliant. I'm not going to talk this man to death. I'm going to illustrate it. So he walks to the man's house. He sits down, says nothing. The man says nothing. The man has a fire going on in the fireplace. John Stott sits there. They both sit the fire. Nothing's being said. John Stott reaches over, takes the fire tongs, takes a piece of uh, coal, ember that's burning real bright, picks it up, takes the coal out, places it on the floor. Puts the coal back. Nothing's being said. All of a sudden, this thing goes from red, fiery, to guess what? Cold. Nothing. Again, no words are being said. Let's sit there. Let's, let's the fire dim down to nothing. Reaches back, takes it with his hand, picks his hand up, takes the coal in his hand, and throws it right back in the fire. Within a couple minutes, guess what happens? That thing reunites. That thing, choo! John Stott says nothing. You know what he does? He gets up, and he walks out of the room. See the point? careful. Heed the warning. And guess what happened to that man? Story continues. A month later, a man comes back to church with tears in his eyes, and he says what? Thank you. The man repented. He came back not to church. He came back to what? The faith. He really trusted this time and believed it. So, now, we're going to talk about encouraging, verse 32. So far, we've seen the pattern, right? Jesus is the better. He's the better what? He's the better Aaron. He's the better Moses. He's better than the angels. He's the better. Well, if he's the better, then it should affect how I live. So, now the question is, how do I live now in light of now I know what's coming? What do I do now? Since he is the better. And so what the writer does, he gives us four encouragements, four things to remember. Again, we're in the thinking section. Remember, right thinking affects right living. Remember. Verse 32. But recall the former days. When you, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. 
Notice the contrast again, but what's he contrasting? The previous section, but you remember, you recall, don't forget. We need to be reminded as much as we be taught. You've been here before. Remember. Don't forget. The former days, your past faithfulness can help you do what? Endure the current situation because you were faithful in the past. And when you're not faithful, guess who's faithful? God has been faithful to you. Even when you were faithless, if you really trust. And he gives them the word endure. And notice the pronoun change. Who is it? You. You. From we to you, he's saying like a good parent. I do this all the time with my kids, not perfectly, but I do it well. When they're struggling, I can see it, and they're hurting, and I know it. You know what I do as a dad? I put my arm around them, and I say, man, I believe in you. You're not like those dudes. We different. We different. Because you got what? You got Christ in you. You different, buddy. You've been there as a parent. If you're not a parent yet, you'll be there soon. When your kid's crying, your kid's discouraged, and your kid think they can't do nothing else, and there ain't no hope, what do you do? You don't go, well, forget that. No, you, you, you grab your kid and you hold your kid. You Come on, buddy, we got this. Because I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And that's what he's saying here. We all need someone to believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. And we have God does that, Christ does that, and you do that. See, you're different. It's an identity thing. He says, you know why you're different? Because you were truly enlightened. You didn't just intellectually trust. You're not dismissing sin. You're not celebrating sin. You're not rationalizing sin. You're fighting sin. You're being on the offensive, and I love it. Sorry, I'm screaming. (laughs) I am aware that I'm screaming, by the way. I love it. I love the passion, man. So I am self-aware, just so you know. <laughs> I love it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, man, you're fighting this. I believe in you. Therefore, let me show you. You've been through some hard times, man. Look how you've been through. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach, affliction, being sometimes with partners with so treated. You've been part of them. You've been, and you had compassion, verse 34, on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property since you knew that yourself had a better possession. See what he's saying? You endure. You hang in there. You take the insults. You take the hits. You take the ridicule. Tell them to come to your house and take your house. You take the reject. So you take that because you know you live with something better. And you go, man, Chad, how do I do that? Because you know you have a better possession where moth, rust, and thieves can't break in. You live with something they don't even know about. And that's motivational. You that you had the better promise. This is not all you have. You have so much more than this. Burn the truck, burn the boat, tear down the house. It don't matter. I got something better than that. But do you believe that? And 
And he's saying, believe that. Not only do you have something better, but look what he says, how you can hang on to, is that verse 34, uh, 35. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. See, your confidence is not in a moral code. It's not being good enough, smart enough, strong enough. Your confidence is in the, in the person of Christ because you have a better reward. You have a better reward. Your confidence. Can I show you what it looks like practically? Because you've been through a hard time. We're in the Glacier National Park in height. I have never felt my lungs burn more than being on a mountain for seven hours. And every once in a while when I turn the switch back, I would get that view. And if I didn't get that view, I would get this view. Oh. See, I got a reward. And that's what he's saying. See, these switchbacks in life happen to you. You got to better believe you got a reward. It's worth it, man. Because your perspective will change when you stay on top of that mountain. I'm not talking about the Smokies. I'm talking about National Park Glacier. I'm talking about the winds gusting. I'm afraid to get up there. My boy's like, yeah. I'm like, no. They're like, yeah. I'm like, no. Because they know they have a what? A reward. And that's what they're looking forward to. So when life switches, your confidence is not in you. Your confidence is in Christ because you know you have a reward. You have a reward. And the switchbacks in life are going to be worth it because your confidence is not in yourself. It's in something greater. Because I walk up the trail, you know what I ask them all the time when people are coming down? I said, is it what? Is it worth it? I got seven hours. Is it worth it? And they said, man, it's worth it. And I kept moving. Not because I'm a great guy. Not because I'm strong. I wanted to see it. Then he goes on and says, he keeps going. You have a better reward, right? And then what you love you got in verse 34. For you are in need of endurance. 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. See, he's telling them, press on. Hang in there. Fight. What did Paul say? I'll tell you what he said in a minute. I have kept the faith. I have pressed on. I have finished the race. Because I believe. Why did he do this? I have a better promise. Man. And the better promise is this. Here's the promise for you. In the end, we're going to win. In the end, we're going to be victorious. And that's beautiful. We're going to win the end. Martin Luther in his stanza, Mighty is the Fortress of Our God, he says this. Did we strive or did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be? Christ, the Lord, it is he. He must win the battle. 
Christ the Sabbath. Wow. Then he goes on, the last part he gives you, the encouragement he gives you, he says, don't shrink back because he is the better object of our faith. Look at me in verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevered their souls, preserved their souls. We are those who hang tough. We are those who stand strong. You know why they do that? Did you catch it? Because they have a better object of their faith. John 6 again. They said it's hard. What does Jesus say? You want to go to? And what's Peter say? I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nowhere else to go. And as long as you got somewhere else to go, you're going to leave. But when you get to the point where you got nowhere else to go, you're going to stay. So here I stand. I can do no other. So this morning, I'm not here to say you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. I don't know. But what I'm here this morning is to say, take heed. Take heed. Take the warning. Take it seriously. And be self-aware to realize where you are. Because we can't be wrong about this. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. And again, I'm not here to create unnecessary doubt, unnecessary fear. I'm here to warn you. To be self-aware and to say, hey, where am I this morning? So bow your heads with me as we leave a time or so what. And I don't have an action step. I have more belief step. Pray for endurance. Pray for encouragement. Because here's why I know. Last couple of years have been tough. And I'm sure, just to be honest, you've thought about, man, you've been on that mountain with me. And you've thought about, is it worth it? Is it worth it? My health is failing my marriage isn't good. Kids aren't going well. I've got anxiety and depression. I've been isolated. It's been hard. So as you bow your head, I would encourage you. Say, God, help me. Help me to be confident that I have a better what? Possession. That I have a better reward. That I have a better promise. And that I have a better object of my faith. Help me to believe that you love me. That you care for me. You send your son to forgive me. Help me to believe there's no other option to run to.
Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your, your kindness to us. Help us, Father, to, as we're here this morning, I don't know where everyone is, how the week's been, how the months have been, how the year's been. But I know, Father, that we process things in our heads a lot. We feel things a lot of times we don't even communicate. So I pray, Father, that you would give us the belief to be confident, not in ourselves, but be confident that Christ, the Son of God, comes alongside of us, puts his arm around us, and says, look what I've done for you. You can rest. Helps to believe that we're not what we do, we're not what we say, we're what we believe. And may that transform how we live. May it transform how we do life. And thank you for your kindness this morning. And I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. And this passage is tough because I have friends who I love who are no longer walking with you. And I don't know how it all shakes out, but I pray right now we're in a situation where we've got grace, we've got mercy. There's always a chance until our last breath. Do a good work with us, Father. In Christ, let me pray. Amen.